Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast designed exclusively for speech-language pathologists who work with older students, grades 4 through 12. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, your SLP behind Speech Time Fun, the Speech Retreat Conference, and the SLP Elevate Membership. And I'm thrilled to bring you conversations, strategies, and insights that will give you the jolt of inspiration that you need. Whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, on a break in between sessions, or even during a well-deserved relaxation time, I am here for you each and every week. Let's do this, SLPs. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. If you joined us a few weeks ago at the speech retreat on November 4th, you've seen this awesome SLP that I have here on the show. But Ish, welcome to the show and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are here today. Holly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I feel so grateful for being asked. Um, so I'm a speech pathologist in Australia, in Western Australia, and I predominantly work in private practice. I also mentor speech pathologists, uh, new grad speeches, speeches who've been out for a little while and really want to consolidate these skills, and also speeches who are in business who really want to get that life-work balance, especially when you're running a business, and that can be really tricky sometimes. That's amazing. How do you decide to get into this realm? Well, with the business coaching part, I've had a lot of business coaching myself and I know how helpful that can be, particularly in the life side of things. So we often go into business, like getting a business coach to help us on our business. But what we're actually trying to say to the business coach is we want to get our life back and we want to be like not working crazy hours and we want to be able to switch off on the weekend and spend time with our family and our friends. So that's a really huge motivator for me getting business coaching. And that's something that I really focus on the coaching that I give speeches. Now I got into the mentoring and supervision was when I've been mentoring and supporting speech pathologists for a lot of my career, but especially when I took on staff, I was doing a lot of mentoring. So all my staff got daily mentoring and I could just see after three months, especially when they're coming out straight out of uni, and they're getting that daily mentoring and coaching and support. 
how quickly their skills were able to grow. So being able to see them at the three-month mark, six-month mark, and 12-month mark, you're like, wow, this is so amazing. And the outcomes for the families are so amazing because the speeches are supported. And I know for me, when I graduated as a new grad, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't even know what questions to ask sometimes. And you're told to do certain things, but you don't know why you have to do those things. Or you do an assessment and you're like, but what is this assessment actually telling me? Like, how do I, I've got the scores, I can write a report, but how do I pick my therapy goals? Because uni is a practical in that way. We really need that support when we graduate to be able to have those skills and to be able to then go into our daily work really confident because we know what we're doing, we know why we're doing it, and we know how to support the kiddos. I work in pediatrics, so we know how to support the kiddos when they're not able to do that activity for whatever reason. We can increase our supports, we can decrease our supports, we can extend them, and we can also explain what we're seeing to the families so that the parents know what's going on and how to support their child at home as well. So that's how I got into mentoring. That's amazing and so true because like I also do have a lot of business coaches that I work with and I always prefer group coaching programs because I never know the questions to ask. Like if if someone was just asking me one-on-one, I'd be like, I have no questions. But then when I hear other people's questions, I'm like, oh, it's okay to ask that. Species, SLPs, we have that imposter syndrome. What can you say to that for someone saying like, I'm supposed to know everything, but I don't feel like I know enough. I think our imposter syndrome really, it starts at uni. I think it depends on what your university experience has been. And you guys spend a lot more time at university than we do here in Australia. So for us, it's like a four-year undergrad degree or it's a undergrad plus master's. But I feel like for me personally, my imposter syndrome really started through university, doing the pracs, being assessed, being supervised, having everything just felt hypercritical. And I felt like there was very little that I did right and a lot that I did wrong. So when you go into the workplace with that mentality of, I just don't feel like I'm good enough for this. Yes, I've got my degree. I've got my certificate, but I just don't feel good enough. I don't feel ready enough. I don't feel like I've got the skills and I've got parents now depending on me and an employer depending on me. I think that that imposter syndrome is a struggle sometimes throughout your whole career. It's something that I still really fight. And I know that I'm 23 years out, so I technically shouldn't have the imposter syndrome, but I do. I just kind of go, oh my God, you know, today's the day that Speech Pathology Australia is going to give me a call and go, ish, we need to have a conversation, you know? And it's crazy, but I think I've come to terms with the fact that that's just part of my career experience. And I've just got to learn to tune the voice down. And by having I think the knowledge and the expertise and just going in with my values and understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing, that's how I dial down the imposter syndrome for me. What advice would you give to someone who is afraid to ask for help or afraid to ask questions? The first thing is, is that we all have questions. It doesn't matter how many years out you are, you're going to always have a question, right? You're going to read something, you are going to see something on social media, you're going to see a release that comes out of your national body and you're going to have a question or something's not going to make sense or, you know, you're going to put it through your filter and go, that doesn't sit right. And sometimes it's not a question. Like you said, you know, sometimes you don't have an actual question, but you have a feeling in your body that tells you that something just doesn't feel right. 
you might not be able to form the question yet, but something doesn't feel right. And I think that's when we have to come from the lens of curiosity. So this isn't about my ego and looking silly. It's actually about being curious. And by being curious, we're trying to get more knowledge and to get more information so that we can help the families even more than we're able to help them yet. And I think if we start from curiosity, that is empowering for everybody. I love that. And we're always telling our students like the growth mindset. What we need to like remember that for ourselves. It's that I, I don't know. It's I don't know yet. Like the word, the power of yet. Absolutely. I think you know it's so easy to teach it and so hard to live it with that power of yet. And I think also that's one of the things that I find when I've like the way that I I always say that I'm the worst supervisor or the worst because I'm not the person that sits back and goes. So what do you think? Do you have any questions for me? I'm not that person because I know what it's like to sit there and have that question asked. Do you have any questions? And I'm sitting there frozen, like literally frozen going, I don't know. I don't know. Or you know when you get asked, so what do you think? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I've been playing with this question so much. You know, for the last week, I haven't, I've lost sleep over it. I don't have the answers. If I had the answers, I wouldn't be coming to you asking for the answer. So I'm very much of a really practical person. So I'm like, I'm going to give you the answer because I'm going to assume that you have sat with this, that you have done the research, you've done the Googling, you've, you know, tried to find the answer and you haven't been able to find the answer. And that's why you're coming to me. I love that. Giving them the support without making them beg for it. So I love it. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel. Have you ever been like with even a psychologist and the psychologist, you know, like in a therapy session and for yourself, and I've been in that situation where the ther- therapist goes, you know, what do you think? And they've got the answer. They know it. And they're just trying to drag it out of you. And I just go into the deer in the headlight and I just freeze. No idea. I don't know how to give you the answer that you want. And you asking me this way makes me freeze. Yeah. So that's kind of my personal take on it. So I think that if you, as a therapist, if you can find people who think that way, that trust that you as a professional have done your due diligence to try and work this out for yourself and now you're coming to get the answers that you haven't been able to find, I think if you can find those people that can think that way, you're going to feel more confident asking the questions and more successful getting the answers as well. That's so true. Another thing that you speak about often is burnout. And that's something so huge and prevalent in our field. Can you just give your intake on it? The thing about burnout is I don't think you often realize you're in burnout till after the fact. So while you're in it, you're just experiencing medical or health symptoms, right? So for me, it was things like all day nausea, brain fog, excessive fatigue, just like I would spent weekends just laying in bed crying because it was just all too much, but I didn't necessarily know what to do at the time. And I think it's once you come out of burnout that you look back and go, oh gosh, you know, I was really burnt out at that time. Whereas during that burnout period, and I've gone through two of them, often people will say, oh gosh, you know, you, you're a bit stressed at the moment. You know, like it's stressed, but it's more than that because you're having actual physical symptoms that come from that. And you're trying to fix the medical symptoms, but you're not really dealing with the stress that's caused it. And I think with burnout, I saw an image recently and that really resonated with me. And it was about the fact that, you know, we start with stress 
And then the stress becomes anxiety. So with the stress, to me, stress is I'm juggling quite a few things at the moment and it feels like I'm going to start dropping the balls, right? Like that to me is stress. And if we can put some of those balls down, the stress goes away. But if we're continuing to juggle more balls and get more balls to juggle, then what happens is you start becoming anxious about dropping the balls. You become anxious about everything in the future because that's what anxiety is. It's future, right? So we start sitting in anxiety. And then if we don't manage the anxiety, then we hit burnout. We've spent so long in that cycle. Of course, you're not going to realize you're burnt out. You're just getting all of these like medical health, physical symptoms. And so then you're trying to deal with the physical symptoms and because you're dealing with the physical symptoms often, I think we make lifestyle changes and workplace changes to deal with the physical symptoms and that's what eventually gets us slowly out of burnout. And then we look at it and go, oh, I think we were burnt out. And to me, that's what happens. And what would you say to someone as this episode is airing, we're just finishing Thanksgiving, we're about to hit the holiday season. Crazy time. It's crazy time. We're like in the heat of it. People are probably listening going, maybe that's me. Like, what advice would you give to someone who's feeling like, you know, how do I get out of this? Absolutely. So I'm a really practical, logical person. So the first thing that I would say is you want to look at everything objectively. Like we all come from a science background, right? We don't have like a background in an arts degree. It's a science degree. So you want to come at it really logically. So For example, if I'm starting to say to myself, gosh, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day to get everything that I need to get done, done, or I'm leaving work and feeling like my to-do list is growing and I'm never going to get to the end of it. What I want to do is I want to logically look at that and go, how am I spending my time? So what I would do is just a basic audit, like just sitting down and capturing what you're doing in your day to be able to objectively look at it and go, actually, is it realistic? For me to get done what I think I need to get done in the day, or is it that it is actually really, really, really sick, but these things are sucking all of my time or it's realistic and I'm not using my time very well, right? So I think we need to look at that objectively because once we've got the data, we know what we can then start doing with it. So if we're in that realm, and I think this is where a lot of speeches will sit, is we've got a very unrealistic workload and then we've got a very unrealistic life load, right? Because there's a lot of stuff and especially Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, the holiday season, there's just a lot going on external to work, which will add a lot of stress as well. And it will feel like you just, you're not able to do anything very well. Usually that's the feeling that I get. Is that the feeling that you get, Hallie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As a piece, we're harder on ourselves. We want, we're perfectionists. So to say yeah. we're doing something halfway, like that, that's not good enough. Absolutely not, right? So then what I would do is I would go, okay, so once I've got all of this on paper and I would get it on paper or your, I, wherever you tend to put information, you've got to get it down so you can look at it objectively and then you need to figure out a way of working through it. So if we're talking workload, so that might mean that you might need to delegate things, right? But sometimes you can't delegate. Sometimes you might need templates. You might need to become a member of a subscription that gives you resources and supports and those sorts of things. That's what you might need. But sometimes what you might need is actual external eyes looking at your problem. We can't see the forest from the trees. So what we need is sometimes we need somebody who's not a speech pathologist, 
who's not coming from that perfectionistic viewpoint to actually look at it and go, okay, have you thought about doing A, B, and C, right? And so this is something that I'm doing at the moment. I'm feeling like my workload is taking over and it's just growing. Like it's, I have this phrase, I feel like it's Homer Simpson at a buffet at the moment. It's just growing and growing. So for me, I sat down and I went, is this realistic? I looked at my calendar. Is this real or is this perceived? So am I perceiving this as I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed or is it a reality? And I looked at it and I went, it's a reality. So then I sought support. I'm actually working with a business coach next week who's going to look at my calendar, who's not from a health industry at all. So completely different industry to get eyes on my calendar and to actually really help me be able to manage it. And I feel like it's not even an issue around boundaries. Sometimes it's an issue around boundaries for me at the moment. It isn't. It's just requests that are quite reasonable, but I just don't have the time to do it. So I think it's going to be a caseload regi for me, but I wanted external eyes on it. So sometimes you do need that external support. I think that sometimes when we're trying to, you know, like, do everything. We also have to realize that we can't do everything. So that idea of like, what do we need to let go of? So is it that we need to let go of the fact that we're creating resources for every child? Like, is that the thing that we have to let go of? Or is it that we have to let go of pleasing and people pleasing? Is it that we need to put some more boundaries in place? So I think once you're looking at exactly what you're working with, it becomes a little bit clearer to be able to know what strategies you need to put into place. And if you don't know what strategies to put in place, then what I would say is find somebody in your network who doesn't think like you do, who thinks almost like in the opposite way to you, so that they will be able to give you advice and strategies that you wouldn't have even thought of because that's not how your brain works. I love that. And for me, the one thing that I let go of really early on in my career was laminating. Especially the, like, the, the, the cut, laminate, cut. Uh, that's the benefit of working with the older ones is like they don't care. They're not ruining anything of mine. But I was like, that's going. <laughs> that's like, my, my, my laminator is a little dusty. I think I have like <laughs> one that's recalled and I have not replaced it. So it's all good. Do you find like for me, what I tend to do is I look at a resource and I go, if I can't use it for 20 different goals, it's not a resource. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I yeah. just want things that can multitask themselves. Like, I don't want an activity that's just, just for only one goal. It could be designed for one goal, but can I use it with a Yes. You might find like a predicting game or an articulation game, but is it a story that you can use for something else? Same it. with apps as well. You know, like whether it's actual physical resources, whether it's apps and digital resources, I think the more, the more it can multitask itself, the easier it is for you. There's less stuff to carry. And then, you know, when you're working on a particular goal and the child, the student is taking a few sessions for them to get the idea. And so you're needing to give them lots and lots of practice that you've got tool one, tool two and tool three, and you've not had to create anything because it's there in your like resource cupboard or it's on your iPad. And to me, that's how I like to work. I like to know that I've got about four things that can target that particular goal. And so then the student has choice and control as well. And you're able to target it to exactly what they need, but you don't also need a million resources, which makes it easier. And do you know what, Hallie, I hate packing away. hate packing away. I'm so so disorganized. I'm so disorganized. Like my desk is a hot mess express, like usually on a regular, like if I have too many materials out, it's a pile that's going to like 
avalanche over. So this is it. And this year I've had to go from having a clinic space that's quite like it's quite big with full therapy rooms and a waiting room and a back area full of cupboards with resources to one room. So to downsize to one room, I had to actually go, okay, what are the toys and the resources that I'm actually going to bring into the clinic? And the kids know exactly where everything's at. So they can go and get the thing that they need and, you know, maneuver around because there's just, it's so limited and it's been an experience. But child-led play is, is a strategy and one that will save you a lot of prepping and materials. hundred <laughs> percent. The kids are so happy and nothing, you know, like when you say to a kiddo, okay, off you go, go and grab what you need. The kids are just so happy. Like the way that they walk across the room, they're just so confident. They're like, I've got this. I can do this, you know, and they go and often they have to move a few boxes to get to the box that they want as well. And they figure it out. Like I'm just sitting there going, you know what you're doing. You figure it out. If you need help, you can ask. You can just turn around and ask. It teaches all of those other skills that we don't think about, all those soft skills that we don't think about. They're the really functional skills that kids need. And it saves us time and energy and it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Kids think they're winning because they're picking the game and we don't have to like prep a million things because you're just telling them to pick a game and tailor to meet any goal. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the thing, you know, at speech pathologists, we really do need to be able to work with paper and pen, right? Like we just need to be able to get basic tools. We need to be able to go outside, pick up some sticks and be able to work with that and to run a whole therapy session with that. And I think that as students, though, I don't know what the prac, how it is for you in the US, but I feel like in Australia, when students are doing pracs, we almost have to have lots of different resources, you know, ready for the session because we want to prove to our supervisor that we know what we're doing and we've got all the things and we've thought about and we've thought about the increase steps and the decrease steps and all of the things. So then we go into clinical practice going, we need five or 10 resources per session. And you're like, no, you don't. And you can do the same activity with the child over and over again because they only get to play that game once in the week because they only come and see you once a week right? But you feel like it's a therapist. Oh my God, we've played that already. So we can't do that next week. Yeah, you can. You even can. Bo- even yeah. books, read it multiple times. Who cares? Multiple times. That's exactly it. You can do it over and over and over again because you're not being supervised and the function of your session is very different to when you're in prac and you're being supervised and you're being assessed. I always tell grad students of mine, I was like, if you come here with 50 different lessons for the week, I'm going to send you back. Like, I was like, no, that's not practical. You're going to burn out. And that's not Mm -hmm. real life. I don't want to see it. I want you to bring like three activities with as many groups, but knowing how to adapt it. I don't want you doing the same exact thing every single time. I want the materials to be the same. And I guess that goes down to the key point, right? Like we as therapists need to know how to adapt. We need to be able to pivot. We need to be able to be flexible with the games that we're playing, the resources that we're using to be able to use it in different ways with different students because that's how you tailor it. You don't tailor it by having game A for child A and then game B for child B. That's not how you tailor what it is. It's just being able to adapt and to be able to meet the student where they're at on the day. That's so true. This is how you prevent burnout. By not having a million things to juggle, we have already a million things between Medicaid billing, evaluations, all these other speaking to parents, having to go to faculty meetings. Let's save some brain space in the planning piece. 
But that'd be the easy part. And also, don't you find when you've got all of the resources and you have spent so much time planning out the session, when you're in the session, you're all in your head. You're not in the session. You're not present. You're not taking the cues from the child or the student. You're actually in your head planning out the next step, planning out, okay, we need to pack this up. It's We need transition time. We might need a movement break. We need this. We need that. And you're all up in your head and you're missing all of the cues that the child is giving out, the parent is giving out. And that's where all the goodness is. That's where actually all the learning is. And that's where all of the support is as well. And you're missing all of that because you're up in your head because you've overplanned. So, so true. I say it all the time. The more you overplan, you overthink, you're going to feel frazzled. Instead, if you go with your gut and, and, and keep telling the self-talk, you've got this. Yeah, absolutely. What's the worst that's going to happen? Like seriously, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? And I think that if you can really be present, you're going to catch the cues so much earlier so that you can then put supports in place so much earlier. So it doesn't have to, for example, if you're worried, I I don't want, you know, like I really want to prevent a meltdown. If that's the thing that you're going in worried about, then that's the thing that you're going to be focusing on. But if you are just, you know what, let's just see what happens. He's going to come in the door. She's going to come in the door and let's just go with it. And let's just take cues from their body to see what it is that they need because today we might need to start with a sensory break first before we get into the work that we need to do. Let's take our cues. And if we can just go with the flow and get out of our head, as you said, trust our gut. I think sessions just go so much more smoothly. You're so much more connected with the child. The child is more connected with you. The parents are more connected with you and you're modeling how to take those cues to the families as well. So, so true. I love this. I mean, we've talked today about asking questions and being okay with imposter syndrome, that it's normal, and being able to ask for support and that burnout is real and that like we can avoid it. And there's we gave you practical ways of by just going, you know, going with the child's lead, using less materials, maybe cleaning up some of that stuff and getting rid of it, donating Mm -hmm. it. Sell it on, you know, some buy, swap, sell Facebook groups. Get some cash for some of those goodies that you're, you know, that's causing you some overwhelm. And have fun. And I think the big one is you deserve support. Every professional out there deserves support. It's a fundamental right. I really believe it's a fundamental right as a therapist, but any professional, right? We all need support. So if you're not getting the support, And if you've asked for the support and you're not getting the support, that's not where you stop. That's just the start of your journey. And I think, Hallie, this is a really big one for all of us. I think that sometimes it's just like kids, right? They ask for something, they expect a yes. When you say no, they don't know what to do, right? And I'm sure you've seen this, I've seen this, that, you know, same goes for speeches. They ask for something, they don't get it, and then they don't know what to do. And it's so important to think of that as just the first step in the journey of asking. So if you get a no, that's fine. You're going to ask somebody else. And if they say no, you're going to find somebody else until you get a yes, until you get the person that's there to support you and to help you move through this hurdle that you've got. And then you're going to go and ask for support again. And you might ask that person and they say no, and then you're going to go and find somebody else and you're going to keep going until you get a yes. Right. We can't stop at the first no. And I think that's really important as well. 
That's great advice. Thank you so much. Where can everyone nice. learn more about you and everything you have to offer? Because you have so much words of wisdom and just advice to give that can help so many out there, new SLPs, veteran SLPs, whether you're in the schools, working clinic setting, anywhere, it can still happen. Burnout. Burnout is real. And having just that work-life balance and just that positive outlook on everything. We're going to want to learn more about you. Thank you. You can find me at thespeechylife.com.au. So that's my website and speechy with an IE. I also hang out uh, on Instagram. That's where you'll find me as well. I do have a burnout PDF, like an ebook that you can work through. It's completely free. So if you are feeling like you are burning out, I highly, highly recommend that you download that PDF and just work through the questions that a bit like a journal that will really help you kind of narrow in on the changes that you can make to either prevent burnout, to get yourself out of burnout. But more than anything, I really believe that if as speech pathologists, we are feeling confident, we are successful, we are thriving, we're going to stay in this profession. And burnout is the big thing that prevents us from staying in this profession. So I highly recommend that you download that and work through it because I think it will really, really help. Thank you so, so much. We're going to put links to everything in the show notes. So if you guys are driving, don't like veer off to the side of the road. Like it'll be there on the show notes whenever you get a chance. Just head to speechtimebun.com and you'll see everything there or just look on the iTunes caption thingamabobby, whatever you want to call it. So I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are fun and humor and filled with language. So it's something that SLPs can take these jokes and use them with their students. So I thought this one was appropriate for our conversation. Why was the math book sad? Don't know. Why was the math book sad? It had too many problems. (laughs) That is a good one. (laughs) They are cheesy, but Multiple meaning words. on you, that one. What type of problem is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a clever play on words, isn't it? That's the thing with jokes. <laughs> That's why I love them. It's a great way to build rapport <laughs> with students while you're waiting for other students to come into the group. Yeah. My students are always it's... like, they got mad at me if I forgot to change the joke. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they keep me on my toes. And it's a great way of connecting <laughs> and, and students knowing that's your thing. Uh huh. Exactly. Like, love and it. that. And I've had students, like, I see them repeating my jokes, like, on the playground. And they're like, you made fun of me, but I hear you, like, totally stealing my yeah. joke. And it's totally <laughs> fine. Well, thank you, Ash. Thank you, everyone listening. Go check her out on Instagram. Until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.